Dear listeners, we cannot keep making our podcast without acknowledging what is happening in the world right now, since we are creators from Russia. Our team follows the situation closely and wholeheartedly seeks for peace. We hope this podcast can be a small contribution to that. We believe that by getting to know each other, we can become closer and kinder. So let the cultural dialogue continue. Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast. This is our culture dialogue. Here we invite different friends from all around the world and different regions and find out all about their culture. So today our beautiful guest is Zara from Azerbaijan. Zara, could you please say a few words about yourself and uh, kind of introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, my name is Zara. I'm 18 years old and I'm currently studying at the Higher School of Economics. My major is media and communication and I'm working in the sphere of marketing and PR. I'm from Baku, Azerbaijan. It's the capital. And I'd like to say some words about the country. Azerbaijan is a country which is located at the boundary of Eastern Europe and Western Asia. It's a part of the South Caucasus region and it's bounded by the Caspian Sea. It's quite known in Russia because of the fact that Azerbaijan was also included in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Great. I'd say that there are lots of facts about Azerbaijan that are kind of known or maybe rather stereotypes. And I think the main topic that I'd like to cover on today's podcast is that it is known that people in Azerbaijan are very friendly towards each other and they kind of all almost know each other and behave as neighbors or maybe relatives. Could you kind of talk about that a little? Uh, yeah. You're absolutely right. Actually, our population isn't that big. It's only 10 million. And uh, we really are some you know, far relatives to each other, like in second or third generation. And when you walk around the streets, you can really meet someone uh, you know. It's really popular in Targova Street. When you walk, you really meet all of your friends, classmates, relatives. And it's absolutely okay to invite them out. Just someone was walking uh, to do their job and you invite him and say, let's go to Chaykhana. Chaykhana, it's uh, a cafe where people drink tea. Uh, mostly men go there with their colleagues, but there are some touristic Chaykhanas, uh, which are popular for women too, but uh, mostly, of course, for tourists. We really have, you know, this family thing in Baku. When you meet someone for the first or the second time, it's okay to call him bro or sis. Like, it's absolutely okay. It's nothing strange in there. <laughs> uh, actually, this January, I invited my friend, uh, a girl I met in Moscow, to go with me to Baku. And she was really surprised by the fact that Everyone was inviting her out, uh, wanting to have dinner with her, uh, inviting to their house. 
lots of food, lots of tea. Everyone gave her presents, uh, not only to her, but to her family as well. And she didn't expect this. And I remember a story when my brother picked us up uh, from the airport and we were going uh, to my house, to my place. And uh, on the way, she asked where is an exchange so she could change rubles to manats. Manats, it's our uh, currency. And my brother just, he was joking and told her that we don't exchange money to Russian citizens. (laughs) And she was surprised. She didn't understand that it was a joke. (laughs) So she asked me, like, why don't you exchange money to Russian tourists? And then I explained to her that he meant that, uh, like, Azerbaijan is known for the hospitality and everyone will invite you over. You will eat, drink with us and you won't have to pay. It's the way we're behaved. It's something that we're nurtured with, something our parents, grandparents explain us from the childhood. So we don't see anything extraordinary in this. Wow, that's fascinating. And it's interesting that it's so different to our life in Moscow. Could you tell me how did it feel or how do you still feel uh, in Moscow? Because it's such a big difference. Because I feel like Moscow is rather cold if we talk about our community, because people seem rather not interested in each other. It's really not common to meet up on the streets with new people and to invite them anywhere. I feel like even small talk is a struggle for Moscow people. So could you tell me how did you feel when you moved and how do you feel right now? Are you used to it? Is it still weird? Actually, I'm quite new here, so I moved only in August. I guess I may not feel all the differences yet, but uh, some noticeable feature was that, you know, I was scared by the fact that everyone in Baku told me that you will be upset. You will just regret the fact that you moved to Moscow because everyone is different there. Everything is different. But to be honest, I never felt it. Maybe like it's coming in some time. For now, I haven't really felt it because uh, there wasn't even a period of adaptation. I just met some great people, especially that girl I took to Baku with me. She's from Moscow. She was born here. She was raised here. But I felt all of the hospitality I was used to in her and in her family. Because even like the first new year I was spending in Moscow, I was scared that I will spend it alone because all of my friends came home. They are from different countries, different cities, even in Russia. And no one stayed in Moscow. Wow. And I was really upset that I will be alone. And uh, I didn't want to go to Baku because it was a, a struggling period with coronavirus. And I was scared that I couldn't be back in some time. But like it all started that with the fact that uh, the girl I'm talking about, she invited me to her house to spend New Year with her family, like with her relatives. And uh, when people tell me that Russians are cold, they don't care, they are, are just ignorant towards other people, I tell about this example, this story that the girl I knew like two or three months, she invited me to her place. Uh, to her grandparents, to her parents, and they gave me presents. They behaved as they know me for all of their lives. And it's the 18th New Year we're spending together. Wow. I guess I was just lucky 
I can't say about other people because I'm a bit of an introvert person, which is kind of strange for Baku because everyone there is extroverts. But uh, it's hard for me to communicate with new people. I mean, in personal life, in job and in studies, that's okay. I mean, I can be an opposer to the theory that Russia is a cold country because uh, I felt different. Maybe that depends on the person. I was really open towards Russia. I opened my heart and it opened <laughs> herself to me too in return. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But there wasn't any adaptation. I know the language and Russian is my first language. I learned Azerbaijani at school when I was six or seven years old. I only started to learn Azerbaijani. Everything is so familiar. I mean, I was raised on Soviet movies, Russian movies, Soviet cartoons, Russian cartoons. I always heard Russian music in my house. The majority of my family members studied here and worked here for some time. My father was born in Moscow. So, <laughs> I mean, there are many links. That's maybe why it's a second home to me now. And I don't feel any cold. Wow, I'm so glad that this is actually your experience of kind of meeting Russia. Because I feel like it's something that happens by chance. And experiences are very different, probably. It seems like it should be knowing uh, Russian mentality and Moscow mentality. Yeah. That's the case. Yeah. And I want to ask you about Azerbaijan social life. You talked about how Azerbaijan people go out a lot and they feel free to invite anyone. And you said a little bit about Chaihana and you said that men used to go there mostly, right? That it was a place for men. Could you please talk about this kind of patriarchy situation, whether you feel it right now there or did it kind of wash away with time? I guess that with Azerbaijan being actually a secular country, but at the same time with the majority of Muslims living in our country, there is some conservatism in some families. Not everyone, again, I never felt the patriarchy on me. Maybe because I'm from quite a modern country and my father, he lives in the United States. So we never lived in one house, no, like only for the first uh, five years of my life. Then he moved to the United States and I was with my mom. And it's different when you live only with a woman, when there is no man at home, which will control you or tell you what to do. If I'm talking about myself, I never felt it. But I was going to school and I was communicating with other people and I saw that some of them have a trouble, for example, uh, to go out uh, or to go to a sleepover to their friends or to party hard till night or even till the morning. I actually struggled because I had no one to go with to party. I was just going alone or maybe with some rare people who just were free and uh, didn't need any permission to go out. Actually, that affects the future life of the people because when you are under control, you can't really decide what to do yourself. You don't know what you want. You just depend on other people's opinions. And I'm thankful to my mom because since five or six years old, she taught me to make decisions myself and I never needed a permission from her. I just came to her as a friend. Actually, I'm talking about some younger period when I was studying till sixth or seventh grade. 
But then in 2012, we had Eurovision Song Contest held in Baku. And people from all around the world came to celebrate the most popular festival of music. And after this festival, I started to notice rational changes. Everything was moving too fast. Like it happened just at a blink that everyone became more progressive, more modern, more free. People just saw how it can be in European countries and started to copy. But copy in the good meaning because it affected the lives of millions of people positively. So I guess that, yeah, with all of this contest, then we had in 2015 European sport games. Then we had Islamic games or sports again. We had Formula One, the races, and it all affected our country that now it looks like Dubai. And also people are now free. They can do whatever they want. No one can judge them because of that. And I can see changes even in the most conservative families. I guess that now we're all fine. There isn't any problem regarding patriarchy. Wow. It's actually so interesting because I feel like there's still this vision about countries, especially post-Muslim countries, that they seem a, a few steps behind. And now all the things you're telling me, it's just It's so interesting how different social events can change an entire country, or at least a city. I'm very curious about the life of the youth in Azerbaijan. What's kind of the nightlife and how do uh, teenagers and young adults hang out in Azerbaijan? To be honest, we started to hang out in ninth grade. We were just skipping school, just going somewhere. Wow. I mean, the problem here is that you can't officially start a nightlife until you're 18. Because in Azerbaijan, people check your documents more strictly than they do in Moscow. Right, yeah. I moved to Moscow when I was 17. And I was a part of the incident when no one noticed that I am not 18. Wow. And just no one asked. It was all fine. But in Baku, they're strict. They just check your documents. But when they see that you're 18, you're free to go and you can do anything you'd like. Unofficial hangouts started when I was in ninth grade with a small group of my classmates. Because, uh, again, there are some people who come from Muslim families or who come from just a family where they control every step. But this time, when I was in Baku in January, I was already 18. It was my first experience with clubbing. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's on the best possible level. I'd rather say that it's even really similar to what's happening in Moscow. And I remember that I tried a wonderful cocktail. I can't find it in Moscow right now. <laughs> it was a pomegranate gin tonic. <laughs> And I also maybe forgot to mention that uh, there is a cult of pomegranates as well. And there's a city in Azerbaijan called Goychei. There is a pomegranate festival annually uh, starting from 2006. Wow. And this event is now written in the list of UNESCO's cultural heritage. So it's an important stuff going out there. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, something Azerbaijan people are really proud of. We are just known for pomegranates. And when I was going to Baku in January, one of my groupmates, she asked me to bring a pomegranate. So I did. <laughs> That's so sweet. 
I also heard that tea culture is a thing in Azerbaijan and that tea is kind of this huge part of your lives. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, actually, in Moscow, someone told me that we don't drink vodka with anyone we meet. <laughs> in Azerbaijan, it's the same with the tea. I mean, you don't drink tea with just anyone random. It should be someone close to you. There really is a cult of tea as well. There is a whole ceremony, like we have all of these teapots. There is a ritual. We also do some of it. It's Russian culture, but we have some of ours as well. When we are in our summer house, we just drink tea from some of us. Of course, we don't have some of ours at home, but uh, we have teapots and we never use tea bags. That's like a taboo. Yeah, right. <laughs> No one drinks tea this well. And do you still do all these rituals here in Moscow? No, I don't. Firstly, because I don't have a lot of time. But secondly, I mean, now I live alone and uh, I won't drink a full teapot. So I'll just throw it away at night. There's no logic in, in continuing the ritual that I started in Baku. So here I started to use tea bags, but when I go to Baku, I'm really happy because uh, I just drink the tea the way it should be drinked. Right. Okay. We're going to take a little pause. I would ask you to teach me a few words or phrases in your language. So maybe if there is something uh, fun to learn. We can start from the basics. I mean, maybe if you plan to go to Baku one day, <laughs> the phrases yep. that you want to use, uh, the phrases that are vital to survive. But <laughs> actually, everyone speaks Russian there. So maybe you won't even need it, but I'll teach you. If you want to say hi, you say salam. Salam. That's easy. Yeah, just salam. Everyone use salam. Then there is an interesting thing. So we have a phrase, sahol. Sahol. Sahol, it's a like universal phrase, because it can be used when someone sneezes, mm -hmm. when you want to say thank you, and when you want to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. It's the same phrase. <laughs> It's translated like bless you. <laughs> Our people, they're really relaxed. Maybe you saw that meme with uh, Jigan who told that <laughs> it's all about our nation. We are always na Chile na Raslabonia. Yeah. So when someone tells you something serious, like you have a deadline, you have to just do it right now. Be fast. Someone is waiting for you. One thing I should also say, we're always late <laughs> because we drink tea too long, because we meet someone on the street and start a dialogue with the person. We're always late. So if you want a person, for example, to be at your place or just at your birthday party at six, you should tell him to come at five. Okay, so when someone tells you something serious or regarding job or regarding anything else, you can say Ashe. Ashe. Ashe, it's like, it will wait. It isn't important. Wow. I just love that uh, even in your language, you can feel your mentality. Yeah. It's kind of, it's so fun. And Even this word, uh, sahol, that you can use in so many ways, it just shows your mentality so much. This is so interesting, how it's already in the language. Wow, thank you so much. Now you can go to Azerbaijan and just speak our language. <laughs> <laughs> They will think that I'm from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely will. There's one more topic that I'd like to cover because I'm very curious. 
I've seen lots of uh, pictures of grand weddings in Azerbaijan and in these weddings where it seems like the, the entire city is right there <laughs> celebrating. And could you please uh, talk a little bit about that? So, okay, it's a widespread tradition for Azerbaijani people to hold like, it's not even big, it's enormous weddings. Like, enormous. <laughs> I mean that. And it really feels like all of the city, and not only Baku, like the regions as well, they come to weddings. My parents, when they had a wedding, they were approximately 400 people. And that's not much. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> it's considered like middle. I know some people who made weddings and there were 1,000 people invited or 1,500, like something like that. It's enormous. Crazy. One thing I need to say that when people go to weddings in our country, they always bring money. And money, it's like a tradition for the bride and for the groom. You give it to them. And I know some situations where bride and groom afterwards, they just traveled to Maldives, travel to Santorini, travel to Saint-Tropez, and the money that they just were presented on the weddings. Yeah, that's a common tradition. And one more thing, at our weddings, people can just find someone they will marry afterwards, because in our culture, it's absolutely important for the parents to meet uh, the boyfriend or the girlfriend of their child. So when you feel like you have sympathy for someone, you should, it's like something you need to do, bring uh, your boyfriend or your girlfriend just to your parents and make them know each other a bit. Maybe just even his or her family as well. And wedding is a comfortable place to do that because uh, both of the sides are there, parents, the child. There's also a joke about that that on Azerbaijani wedding, uh, a girl can find a groom, an oil man with a rig, <laughs> and just live, live happily ever after with him. And it's partly true because our country produces a lot of oil and many people in my family as well make a living in this sphere because it's a really popular industry in Azerbaijan, oil. I mean, some of our oil is also transported to Russia, to other countries which are nearby. I love this kind of a joke about uh, oil men <laughs> and, how, and how that's an opportunity for, for girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Okay, we have a section on our podcast where we ask about three stereotypes of uh, the chosen culture. So, my first question is about religion. You already talked about it a little. Still, there is this belief that Azerbaijan is rather a religious country. And could you talk about it a little and say whether it's true or did it fade away already? What is the situation? Azerbaijan is considered the most secular Muslim-majority country. I mean, not everyone is Muslim there. But the majority, of course, it is. We have many ethnic groups living in our country. Like we have Russians, we have Jews, we have Georgians, anyone. For them, there are also churches, there are synagogues. And when you go walk around the city center, you can just see that there's a mosque, there's a church, and there's a synagogue. To be honest, most of our nation, it's kind of passive Muslims. 
they think that they're Muslims, but in fact, there are some things that they don't follow. You know, like in Russia, people celebrate Easter, but they don't really know all of the traditions. Yeah, they just sit around the table, gather all the family and just celebrate. It's the same in Azerbaijan. We just need a reason to celebrate any like event, <laughs> any holiday. We just sit and celebrate. The situation is that we're a secular country. No one is forced to have Islamic beliefs. Some of the nations, of course, real Muslims who just follow all the traditions, who do namaz, who read Quran and follow Quran. I once saw BBC's report and Azerbaijan was in the list of the most non-religious countries in the world. Because, like, as you know, Islam doesn't allow to drink alcohol, I mean, and uh, Caucasus is known for the just parties for uh, like home parties especially where people gather and they eat and drink and it's absolutely okay to drink like from the age of 12 or 13 because your family allows you to drink it's a tradition we eat lots of meat and we drink lots of wine with this and uh, how can you be muslim when you just drink uh, bottles of wine non-stop we were in the BBC list, and uh, it's absolutely true that we're a secular country. No one's forced. I come from a non-religious family. I absolutely lived a perfect life <laughs> when I was in Baku. So no one forced me into Islam. But are there these uh, national holidays, every kind of Muslim uh, celebration? Because I know in Turkey, for example, every Bayram, they have kind of weekly holidays and they don't work officially. Do you have the same thing? Yeah, actually we do. And in March, I'm going to Baku uh, when there are studies in Moscow, but when there are holidays in Azerbaijan. And the holidays will last, I think, a week. It's Novruz Bayram, which is quite popular. It's something similar to Easter. We also just paint the eggs, then we fight with the eggs. We have the plant, which is called Semeni. We have like four Thursdays. Each of them is connected to fire, water, earth, and wind. It's connected to each of them. And the final Thursday is connected to fire. And afterwards, there comes Novruz Bayram. We also have traditional desserts we eat at that time. Bahlava and Shekerbura. The friend I brought to Baku asked me to bring her some of the desserts when I come back in March. She really enjoyed the food especially and the desserts. But Novruz Bayram isn't a really like Muslim holiday. It's rather about the religion that had a cult of fire. Zoroastrism, I guess it's the name. But there are some Muslim holidays like Ramadan, Gurban Bayram. They're just celebrated in any other Muslim country, even in Tatarstan, Bashkortostan, they celebrate. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Uh, let's move to the second stereotype. I also already asked you about the tea culture. But my question is, it's kind of known that Azerbaijan has all this tea culture, but how often do you actually drink tea? Because even you said that you don't drink it with everyone and it has to be someone you respect and someone you're, you're close with. But still, is it an everyday thing or is it like an occasion, a celebration? No, it's definitely an everyday thing. And the morning starts with at least three or four cups of tea. Three or four? Yeah. Of course you're always late. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we just 
we have the cult of food. I mean, even if you say to your boss that I was late because I was drinking tea with my family, you will say, you were doing absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's okay. And most likely your boss will be late as well. Th- that's, that's how we live there. I had to, to adapt <laughs> to the Russians that are most of the time really in time. We drink, as I said, three or four cups of tea in the morning, or then during the day, three or four again. And actually, it's okay to drink tea before going to bed. I know that most people can't sleep after they drink tea or coffee before bed, but I can sleep perfectly fine. Maybe it's in my blood, I don't know, maybe I'm used to it. <laughs> I just, I feel like I'm falling in love uh, with Azerbaijan more and more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should visit. I, I definitely will. I will hold you a tour there. Okay, and the last stereotype. People from Azerbaijan are most likely to have an accent when they talk in Russian. But for example, you don't have one as we talked in Russian. So how often do people actually have an accent? And is it rather a stereotype or is it actually the reality? If we talk about Azerbaijan people I met in Russia, most of them really have accent. But that's because, for example, if we talk about me, my first language is Russian. My mom, she's a Russian speaker, and she is really bad at Azerbaijan. I mean, I, I can even translate her what the person is saying because she can't understand. My mother tongue is Russian. I mean, that's the reason why I don't have an accent. But people who just began to talk in Azerbaijan and who studied in Azerbaijan school, for example, I went to a Russian one they will most likely have an accent. When I communicate with Azerbaijan people or when I go to Baku and stay there for some period of time, I come back and I have an accent. And the friend I took to Baku, she also, when she came back, she had some of the phrases that sounded really Azerbaijani. For example, to any word we add да, нет да, спасибо да, да да, like that's what I'm talking about, Dada. It's it's kind of to make the phrase more confident. Except the da thing, we also add e to anything we say, like daye, nyete, tishtoye. Also that's how we speak. And also, like, you know, we have a third language invented, the mix of Russian and Azerbaijan. Even people who can't say a word in Russian, they use some Russian words like they can say. Send duraksane. Like it means that you are durak, <laughs> you are a dork. That's absolutely fine. Very used to this. And I also had an awkward story. We have a word which is tapshirmah. Tapshirmah is to ask for someone. For example, it's popular, you know, when you meet someone again on some wedding or just on the street and you ask the person, like, I know that you're working in a good company. Could you please just take my son or my daughter to work at your place? And that's tapshirmah, because you just ask a person to give a job or to go out with someone to do a favor in any possible context. We had, on that special language I'm talking about, the mix of Russian and Azerbaijan, we had a phrase, which is tapshanut. It's a verb. And all my life I thought that it's a Russian word. And now I come to Moscow, and in a dialogue, I just use it. I said that, on tapshanulovo. And... I just noticed that no one understands what I was talking about. People are looking at me like, what were you talking about? I didn't get it. And then I understood just, I came home, I told the story to my mom, and she told me that, you're crazy. (laughs) 
How could you possibly say that? I, I was like, yeah, all of my life I saw that it's a Russian word. That's why we really have this third language, the mix. And me and my mom, we just speak the, this mixed language. Uh, my grandma, my grandpa, my aunt, everyone. Okay, so we've come to the last question of today's podcast. And actually my favorite one, and I'm very interested what you're going to say. What song would you say associates with Baku or Azerbaijan in general? What song would you tell me to listen in order to feel the culture or maybe a personal song to you that takes you back to those days living there? There was a popular Russian-born but Azerbaijani by nationality singer Muslim Magomayev. He's one of the most famous artists of that time. He has a song which is called Sinye Vechnist, which translates as like Blue Infinity. There is a horse which sounds like O More More because of the Caspian Sea located on the border of our country. I guess that's the first association I have. It's from the old songs. But if I speak about new songs, I guess you know Emina Galarov, the founder of Crocus Group, just a popular businessman and singer as well. He wrote a song especially for the Jaram Music Festival, which is annually held at Seabreeze uh, in Baku, in Azerbaijan. The song's name is Zbizhim v Baku, Let's Run to Baku. And now it's really quite popular in Baku. Because of Russian people knowing the song, we just sometimes can listen to it in the airport. So yeah, two of the songs. Thank you so much for your answer and just for everything you told us, because I feel like you gave us no choice but to fall in love with Azerbaijan. I, I just, I'm genuinely so excited to find out more about that place and I really want to visit it. And I didn't even expect to feel so much towards Azerbaijan after talking to you and my cheeks are red because I was smiling the entire time. And just thank you so much for all your answers. I'm really waiting for you in Baku. You, you can just tell me and we'll go together. I'll show you the city. <laughs> yeah, everything will be great. I, I'm sure you'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, just text me the date and I'm waiting for you. Let's just take the uh, airplane tickets and we're free to go. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much to our listeners. This was the Babushka podcast, our culture dialogue. And next time, we're probably going to have someone from a new country or a new region. And tell us in the comments below what country or culture would you like to explore and dive into. And thank you for being with us. Thank you, Zara. Again, you were amazing. <laughs> I'm glad I managed to do it. This is a wrap. Thank you very much. Thank you.